So the book of John, chapter 8, in verse 31, we see there the Savior, Jesus, saying, it says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. If the son sets you free, you really will be free. And we've been on a series talking about our So we learned, number one, that we have one, that we are one, right? It said that God breathed life into the man's nostrils and he became a soul alive. He became a living being. Same word there we use for soul. And we learned it's important. The Savior told us, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, gets everything that the world has to offer, gets everything he could possibly get, but forfeits, loses his soul? What will it profit We've learned that our soul is a needy, needy thing. It's always needing something. That's the only thing we're unlimited in is our need. Everything else I'm limited in. I get tired. I get emptied out. I I have limits in every other part of my life except for the things that I need. That is an unlimited thing for me. And one thing our soul needs is it needs a keeper. And he and his sovereignty has given us that position partly, right? Well, under his direction that we be the keeper of our soul. Proverbs says, above all, guard your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, your soul, same word, the the core of who you are, because out of it flows the issues of life or it is the source of life for you. And so we talked about some of the things that our soul needs. Our soul needs to hear truth. We read the psalmist say, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, I will yet praise him. Look at all the things he has done. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Our soul needs to hear truth. We mentioned it earlier. Our soul needs an anchor, and he's given us an anchor for our souls in Christ. Last week, we talked about how our soul needs to rest. Our soul needs rest. In life, all we find is restless Nest, but in Christ we find rest. In Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you, take my teaching upon you, and learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How often, when we're restless, do we move away from Him? When he's saying, I'm the only place that you'll find rest for your souls. And it's by taking up from him. He said, here's my soul. Notice he said that I'm gentle and lowly and hard. He said, here is my soul. Now come and learn from me how you should live so that you can experience my rest. That you get only from me. And then this week is going to be something of a continuation Because last week in Matthew 11, he told us to come to him, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. This week, we we see other phrases that we're familiar with in John 8. The first one is you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Everybody's heard that. We say that all the time. We've heard it in culture. We hear it lots of places. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And notice he's talking to those who had believed him. He's talking to believers. He's saying, you will know the truth. If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, or you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they argued with him. They said, what are you talking about? You're going to set us free. We've never been slaves to anybody. We're, 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 we're sons and daughters of Abraham. And I was thinking about that. I was like, well, they were slaves in Egypt for a good 400 years. Like, I don't know, maybe we overlooked it. The Bab- there was the issue with the Babylonians, too. We were enslaved to the Babylonians for a little bit. But anyway, I, I don't think, you notice he didn't go at, he didn't go at that. He didn't talk to them about how they were enslaved uh, in Egypt or in Babylon or could even argue that they were enslaved to Rome at the time. Uh, but Jesus said, that is not what I'm talking about. And he said in verse 34, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. So he said, I'm not talking about you. You're, you're enslaved to another nation. Again, maybe they were saying their whole life, they hadn't been enslaved. We live in Jerusalem. We live in the city of God. And he said, well, but you do sin. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So he took it to a a larger scale than what they were thinking. And he said, you're not just slaves physically to sin, but you're slaves completely, overall, totally, which would also involve our soul, right? The core of who we are. Our soul, which is enslaved to sin, from from, from the time that we're born, it's, it's what we're going to be drawn into. Our soul cries for freedom from that slavery, Cries to be free, but can't be free. We, we can't do that on our own. We, we just can't. We tried to. We wanted to. We wanted to get out of it. We wanted to work our way out of it. We wanted to fight our way out of it. We even tried to quit our way out of it, and we couldn't get out of it. But what he says is even though you who sin are a slave to sin, he goes into almost an example here. He said a slave doesn't remain in the house forever. Why? Because it's not the slave's house. We don't remain in this life forever. It's not, it doesn't belong to us. This world doesn't belong to us. But he said a son does remain in the house forever. He said a son remains in the house forever. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are truly and really free. Now, what's he talking about? When you were a slave, that the, 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 the picture there would have been that either you or somebody in your family had created a debt that you couldn't pay. And the person you couldn't pay that debt to had the right to, to cause you to become their slave. You're going to work this off until it can be what? Repaid. And we, and we see that similarity in our sin debt. You, you have to work it until it can be repaid. The problem is it can never be repaid because what does it cost? It costs death and then everything's over, right? But he's saying if the son of the house who remains in the house, who has authority in the house sets you free, then you are truly free. If the son lets you go from what you owe, then you don't owe it anymore. He's like, the son remains in the house forever. If he clears your debt, you are free indeed. And who's he talking about? He's he's the son in the father's house. He's going to be able to clear the debt. We know how he did 
that. And he says, whoever the son sets free is free indeed. We owed a debt to sin. We couldn't pay it. We could have spent our whole life trying. But when the son sets you free, the son of the house, the son, uh, the, the Lord of all things sets you free by paying the debt, you are free indeed. And so that, but that brings up a question because this is saying Christians are free. We're free. Why? Because we've been set free from that law of sin and death, from that debt that we owed. But if you ask culture, if you ask people around, they, they would say that Christianity isn't freedom, that Christianity is a barrier to freedom. You see, culture wanting to throw off all, all, all the codes of m- morality, the things we would learn in Christianity. So y'all aren't free because you're restrained by all of this. Y'all don't, you're not experiencing real and true freedom. See, they don't see their chains, that they are in bondage to sin, and they see our restraint as bondage. See that? They don't see their bondage, but they see our restraint. Well, how come you don't do this? How come you don't go there? How come you don't say this? How come this doesn't happen in your life? How come this isn't going on? Why are you restraining yourself from all of these things, from all the pleasures of the world? They don't, they see your restraint and they think you are the one in bondage. So as we're talking about freedom, because we know our soul cries out for it. Our soul cries out to be free from the slave master of sin. It just does. We want to be free. We want to be over our own agency. We we want that, right? We want to be in charge of our life. And Christ sets us free from it. And that is only the beginning. That is only the beginning. We're free from sin. Amen. Amen. Which means we're free to something else, right? If you're free from bondage, you're free into something else because whom the sun sets free is really free from sin. And so does that mean that we should just cast off all restraint? We should do whatever we want to do, right? What's eat and drink because tomorrow we die, right? Do whatever you want to do. You're free. Is that how we live? No, because what does he say in verse 31 and 32, just before that? If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. What, what, what do we do with the freedom that we have when he set us free from that law and sin and death? What do we do with the freedom that we find in him. Well, he tells us what to do. Continue in him. Follow him. Be my disciples or be my, be the ones that follow my discipline. My way of life. My teach. Remember, take on my yoke and learn from me. Take on my life. Know truth. Be introduced to truth. And, and that when it says you shall know the truth, it doesn't just mean you're going to learn something and, and, and follow it up here as knowledge. When he says no, that means more like a personal introduction, that you're going to have an experience of knowing the truth, like, like you know one another, because the truth is a person, right? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the, right? There's going to be an introduction there and there's going to be a getting to know the truth. And the more of the truth that we know, the more free we actually are. 
He's not just the giver of life. He is the giver of life and he's a good giver, but he's also the teacher of how life should be lived. And so we follow the son, like he said in verse 31 and 32, we follow him as a disciple, as a disciplined one into the freedom of the truth, into the freedom of the truth. So as Christians, how much freedom do we want? How much do we want to experience this freedom and how do we get the most of it? How do we get the most freedom in our relationship with Christ that we can get? Because here's something I would tell you. A disciplined Christian is more free than an undisciplined Christian. A disciplined Christian is more free than an undisciplined Christian. How in the world can that be true? Think about it like this. A disciplined athlete is more free than an undisciplined athlete, right? A disciplined athlete is more free than an undisciplined athlete. And before we go into talking about this, I know you may hear one person versus another person. This person is more free than this person. I don't want you to compare two different people to one another as we're talking about this today. I want you to compare a disciplined version of you to an undisciplined version of you. Each one you One, the disciplined version, by discipline, doing the things that Christ has given us to do, undisciplined, not doing the things, not disciplined, not consistent, not faithful in the things that Christ has given us to do. Disciplined you versus undisciplined you. So again, let's talk about this athletically first. If you train as a runner, if you discipline yourself as a runner or as an athlete, you're going to have more freedom available to you than the untrained version of you, than the untrained, undisciplined, athletic version of you. Think about it. Both versions of you, one disciplined, one undisciplined. One trains for six months, six months to run a marathon. I'm talking about getting up early, paying attention to what you eat, paying attention to when you go to sleep, uh, training your body, building up those muscles, building up your stamina, doing the right amount of cardio, the right amount of strength training every day, a little bit at a time, doing it over and over for six months. That version of you lines up to run a marathon at the end of that six months. And the other version of you just got up that day and put your shoes on and rolled out to the starting line. I'm talking about didn't eat, didn't stretch, wasn't thinking, I mean, hadn't done anything about running this marathon in the last six months. One version of you versus the other version. This one, the disciplined version, is not only free to try to run the marathon, but but free to compete and do it well, right? Why? It's more freedom has been opened up because of how they lived the last six months. Over here, you're undisciplined and you're going to get to the start line and say, Lord, just give me strength today. I hadn't done anything to get ready for this, but if you would just give me strength today, you're probably going to die. You certainly aren't going to finish. So are you free to run that marathon? You're free to try. You're not free to do it. You don't have the freedom to do it. Why? Because you were undisciplined. And that's what I mean when you say that the disciplined version of you, a disciplined believer is more free than an undisciplined believer. And what does Christ call us into is to be his disciples. He calls us in to be his disciples or his disciplined ones doing what he teaches us to do. 
That's the physical example. So the spiritual example, the true example for us, you've got an undisciplined version of yourself and a disciplined version of yourself. The disciplined version says, I'm going to make sure that I have scheduled in my days that I intake this scripture, that I have intake of this scripture, that I hear it, right? What you're doing right now, you're hearing it read, you're hearing it preached, that I hear it, that I read it, which is reading, you know, just reading along, and then that I've studied it. That I haven't just heard it, that I haven't just read it, but I've gotten in there. I'm like, now when he talks about, now what does he mean when he's saying, this is a slave is in the household, not forever, but a son is. Well, where else is that, that you've studied, that you've gotten in there to see what he has in there for you, that you've meditated on it, that you've gotten together with the brothers and sisters in Christ, and you've reasoned over the scripture together. As a disciplined believer doing that, you're going to have more freedom than the undisciplined version of yourself than the undisciplined version of yourself. And when you're the disciplined one and you've done all those things with the Word, say you do it for six months, just like the marathon trainer, what are, you have more freedom than you otherwise would have had, right? Because now what can you do? You can quote Scripture. You, you can comfort your own heart and your own mind with Scripture. When somebody comes to you and they're having difficulties, guess what you can do? You can encourage them from the Scripture. You can pray the Scripture. The truth that he's given you. Now, when you haven't done any of those things, you and your freedom have decided not to do any of those things in the last six months. You can't encourage your own heart and mind with the scripture. You can't encourage others. You can't pray it. You sure can't share it because you don't don't have it. You don't have it. And then guess what you're going to do? The undisciplined version is going to look at the disciplined version and just say, well, they're just gifted. They're just gifted in, in the scripture. And, and, and we disregard the fact that they've disciplined themselves in it. And we say, well, they're just, they're, they're just gifted. It's just easier for them. That's why they can do it. No, they spent the time in it. And we're using that as our excuse. I'm going to keep pushing. <laughs> so you see that the disciplined believer has more freedom than the undisciplined believer. The disciplined version of you, the one that engages with Christ on all the avenues of grace that he has given us on which that we can enjoy him has more freedom available to you than if you are undisciplined or disregarding all the riches that he has made available to us. So when we think freedom, again, some of what we think is I can do whatever I want. I'm free. And that's true. But if we're undisciplined in that and we literally do whatever we want, we're not going to do what's good. The disciplined version of us looks at and says, I could do whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what's best because in doing what's best, I'm going to unlock things that would have otherwise been impossible for me. Just like a marathon runner. He trains for six months. You, you, you cannot be a good runner and train for six months and you're going to be a better runner. Right? Unlocking things that would have otherwise been impossible as a football coach. He used to coach the Dallas Cowboys. He said, my job is to take grown men and make them do the things they don't want to do so they can become the men they always wanted to be. 
He said, my job is to take men that don't want to run, that don't want to stretch, that don't want to lift weights, that don't want to eat right, that don't want to come to practice early, to take them and convince them to do the things they don't want to do that are better for them to do so that they can become somebody they never thought they'd be able to become. And, and Christ is saying the same thing to the umpteenth level that Tom Landry told the Dallas Cowboys however many years ago. He said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to teach you to do the things that you don't think you want to do so that you can become who you've always wanted to be. Things that would have otherwise been impossible. Discipline, freedom used rightly opens doors that we otherwise would have always thought had been impossible. He has set us free from sin and we are free to follow him. Free to follow him. We talked about it last week. You have to start in those little moments, in those small moments. You know, you can't start and say, I'm going to run a marathon. today. I'm going to start training for a marathon today. So I guess I need to run at least half the distance. Was it 13 something, 13 kilometers? It gets weird for me when we get on the metric system. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. But what you can do is you can run to the end of the driveway and back. That's what you can do. You start in those small moments. You you start by saying, how many moments can I build into my day today where I am more aware of his presence all around me and his goodness towards me? How can I do that today? How many of those moments can I build into my day today? He said, if you will continue in my word, his message, his teaching, his yoke, his way of life, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, you'll really be my disciples, those who follow me. And again, we're talking about being a daily disciple, a daily disciple. Last week, he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So thankfully, we all qualify. (laughs) We all meet the entrance exam. But he says, come to me. And we talked about how we do that this week. He's saying, follow me into more of the freedom that I've already introduced you to. Follow me into more of that freedom. And we used uh, the athletic metaphor. And we're going to pull on that string a little bit more. I'm going to get away from it. I'm not I'm not trying to make, you know, when we talk about being more healthy, it always pushes on us. But I want to pull that thread just a little bit more, because when we look at athletes, the ones that we want to be like, the ones that we look up to the ones that we think are doing the absolute best, the ones we think are the most gifted, what you'll see them do is returning over and over and over to that weight bench, to that treadmill, to that walking plan. They're they're eating right and and they're getting their sleep schedule right and 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 they're stretching every day and they're keeping all the circulation flowing and all those muscles, uh, they're they're building them up over and over and over a little bit each day. It's It's not about one meal or one run or one Workout because just one isn't worth very much. And we know that, right? Because you, you do any one of those things one time and then you go and you like look for a difference and you don't see one. You don't find one because it's just been one day. It's just one drop in the whole bucket. What does one day do? Not much. Again, barely noticeable. You can't even tell that anything has happened, that anything has changed, but you come back and you do it again the next day. 
And you come back and you do it again the next day because a hundred days of doing the same thing, the same good and right thing, that does a lot. That does a lot. Just like a hundred days of doing the wrong thing does a lot too. There's power in repetition and we don't always give it the credit that it deserves. It carries a lot of weight. Why? Because we're just thinking about a day-to-day instead of thinking about a destination. And where am I trying to get? And where am I trying to go? It does a lot. They're disciplined in their freedom. Again, they're giving things up to pursue things that they want more. Daily. And it gives them access to a depth of experience that, again, would have otherwise been impossible if they had just stayed in the shallow part of the pool, the the shallow zone of commitment, the shallow zone of discipline. In the same way, a follower of Jesus keeps returning over and over and over every day to the avenues of grace that he's given us, all the different ways he's given us to experience his grace, his goodness, to, to learn from him about life over and over and over. Was one day make a huge difference? It doesn't make a huge difference in one day, but seven days strung together and then 14 and then 30 and then six months of it and then a year and then five years and then 10 years and then a lifetime. Look at how much difference can be made. Look at how much of that depth you're engaging in now that you didn't even have any idea it even existed before. And again, you, you, you start small. Don't, don't hear this and go, oh my gosh, I got to run a marathon in the spirit. Is that what he's telling me? Man, this is just another thing for me to have to do. You start small. You, you, you be steady in the small and then you don't stay in the small. Okay. You start small. Everybody starts small. That's where we all start is small. If you had not started at all, you start very small. I mean, teeny tiny small. You can't leave out of here today and go, all right, well, Stephen said participate. Avenues of grace. So here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to get up three hours early and I'm going to read the Bible for an hour. I'm going to pray for an hour. And then I'm going to go serve somebody for an hour before I start my day. That's what I'm going to do. You're gonna, it should be like the undisciplined you trying to run a marathon. You're going to die. You, maybe you'll get it done one day and then you're going to quit. Like, that was hard. I don't ever want to do that again. Again, you just start small. You start small. You stay steady in that. And then you don't stay small. Last example. When we're talking about depth, because I, I want you to see this and I want you to know how available it is. And it won't be anything to do with athletics, I promise that one just seems to mesh so well because we understand it. But, but, but let's, think about, let's think about this when we're talking about death. Picture a man and his family, and he decides that he's going to take his family to the lake. He's got this lake that's not far from his house, and it's a beautiful place. And so they're all excited, and they, they, they pack the car with everything that they're going to need. And they leave early because they want to get there, and they want to have a full day worth of experience. And the car smells a little bit like sunscreen, and the kids won't stop talking. And are we there yet? And then they do get there, and, and, and they're by uh, the, the swimming area, and there's a boat ramp there, and all these trees, and the water is just so beautiful. And they unload, and, and, and they play games beside the lake, and they 
they get to swim in the water and they have a picnic lunch out there by the lake and they've just had such a good day. And then uh, towards the end of the day, when it's start t- time to put everything back up, they pack up everything except for a few of their chairs so they can sit out and they can watch the sunset on that lake and then they go home and they're just so fulfilled. This has been such a good day. This is awesome. Uh, We had such a good time and he rolls into work the next week and he's ready to tell everybody about it because that's what we do when we've had a good experience with something. We want to share it with other people. He's a late guy now. He's been to the lake. He's never been before. He's been and he's telling telling the guy that he works with all about it. You know, everything that they did, the picnic area. He's like, we even hung up a hammock. I got to rest there beside the lake. Spent about an hour in the hammock. He's about to tell him about how the kids saw a turtle and the kids thought that was amazing that they saw a turtle. They'd never seen a turtle that big before. And the guy kind of interrupts him. He's like, well, what did you think about the lodge? And he was like, what, what lodge? He's like, the lodge. It's just around here on, on the other side. We always go by there and eat supper. Uh, he says, well, I guess we, we didn't see it. I didn't know. I didn't know there was a lodge there. He said, oh, it's the best. You, you, you got to stop there before you go back to the campground. And he's like, you can camp there. You can camp at the lake. And so see what happened. He went for the day and he had an amazing experience. He had this great time at the lake, but it was still just one day. It's a big lake. There's a lot to experience. And he, he, if you had asked him, have you ever been to the lake? What would he have said? Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. You know, you know about the lake? Oh, I know all about it. I know all about it. It was, it was great. It was fun. It was amazing. But it was still only a day's worth. It was just one day's worth. And how deep is he going to get in one day? Not very deep, right? I mean, it's something. It's not nothing. He had a great day. They had a great day at the lake. But how much depth is he getting uh, in that one day? Not very much. What if he didn't stop there? What if he went back again for another day? Another time? Spent another day there? What if then they got extra brave and extra interested in it and spent the weekend at the lake, found that campground, spent more time there at the lake. And then started to do like some folks do where they just go and stay a week. They go and stay a week at the lake. And then he's going back over and over and over and he likes it so much that that's where he and his wife move when the kids move out of the house and they're ready to downsize the size of the house. They move to a place on the lake. That's the kind of person you want to visit the lake with because they know all about it. They know all about it. They they can hear something like, you hear that? That's the geese coming in from the upper lake. Here, come here. Squat down like right here. See between those two trees, those branches? Watch, you'll see them right there. There they are. Here, let me show you where the eagle's nest is at. Let me, you want to catch fish? Oh, I can tell you where to catch fish. Come on with me. Follow behind me and I'll show you where you can catch fish. A lot of fish. Now, the lake hasn't changed, has it? That lake hasn't changed at all. It's still big. There's still a lot to it. What has grown? His experience. His perspective. What he knows about it. What he has seen and enjoyed and experienced. The depth there. That he's, that, that he's living now when he goes to the lake, look how much that's grown. And how has it grown? Just by going. The, the Bible word we would use would be communion. Experiencing something. 
over and over, keep coming back. Before in his life, before he did this, if somebody said the lake, it might bring up some images. It might bring up some thoughts for him. But how, how much more is going to come up after all of those days knitted and, 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 and woven together in his experience when somebody says the lake are just going to erupt out of him. Just all of the positive experience, emotions, knowledge that he has about it. How much more is going to just f- f- fill his whole being when somebody says that and he'll be like, the lake. Well, I'll tell you about the lake. Let me tell you about it. How much more of just steady going back. Steady going there. And that's just a lake. That's just nature. That's just a created thing. How much more our relationship with the one who made all of that, that it would take us a lifetime to experience the depth of. How much more our relationship with him. Not just one trip, not just one day, not just one experience. Hey, have you experienced God? Yeah, I have. Woo, yeah, I have. And you might have one good day. One good day you can have experienced him and that that freedom. But are you coming back? Are you coming back the next day? Are you coming back knitting those small moments together so that you can say with Paul, like we read earlier at the start of the service, oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He talks about how big God is. He's like, he's so big. The depth of how big he is. He's so much. And he's singing this song of worship. And that's in Romans 11. And you know, you may not realize that you know, but you know what comes after that in Romans. He says that in Romans 11. And it's not, you know, he didn't write it. So I'm going to separate this to a different chapter here. That's just for our reference. But he talks about the depth of the riches of God, how big he is and how amazing it is to experience him. And you know what he says next? He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him. That's your reasonable service. That's your worship to him. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the undisciplined life that you see out there in the culture where they're taking their freedom and they're using it to put themselves back into bondage. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be changed by what the renewing of your mind. He said, because God is so deep, because there's so much to who he is, because he's so big. Lay your life down. Take the freedom that He's given you and lay your life down in pursuit of Him for all your days. Amen? Like athletes, like the lake people, we become those daily followers, those daily disciples, being taught by the Creator and the Sustainer of all life. And again, You cannot hear you have to run a marathon tomorrow. You can't hear that in the natural or the spiritual. That's impossible for you to do. What you can do is you can harness today 
so that it's a little bit better tomorrow. And it's a little bit better the next day. And you're a little bit closer to him. That you're engaging him on all the avenues of truth that he, and grace that he has given you on which you can experience him. You start small. You keep steady. And then you don't stay small. It is for freedom that he set us free. And whom the son sets free. They're free indeed. Again, he didn't set us free just so we can go, all right, hooray, I can go out and do whatever I want. He set us free so that we can do the best thing ever for us to do, which is to become more like him. And it happens one day at a time, one moment at a time, one trip to the lake at a time. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one of these men and women. God, you know our names. You know our hearts. And it's surprisingly for people like me, you still love us. And you've still called us to be a part of your family. You set us free from the law of sin and death. If you're still under that law of sin and death, he's here to set you free. And if you've been set free from that slavery and bondage to sin, why should we live in it any longer? Why should we who have been given opportunity to move to a different house live in the old one any longer? Father, help us to see the depth that exists in you. We haven't even gotten close. We haven't even scratched the surface. We could spend our whole life and not scratch the surface, but we can be so much further than we otherwise would have been. And how much more comfort is available to us in the depth? How much more peace available to us in the depth than what we even know right now? And I thank you that as when we sit and when we contemplate this, what are we doing that we could stop doing, that we need to stop doing? that we would stop doing? And what are we not doing? That we should be doing. That we ought to be doing. That we would start doing. Give us that small. Give us that small step. Give us that walk to the end of the driveway. Give us that one decision today that we can multiply over the next two days, 10 days, 100 days, being discipled by you, taught by you, and we can see so much change. So much change. Change that would have been impossible, you make possible because you teach us how life really works. I thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you've given us this freedom to enjoy you with all that we have. We thank you. As we get ready to go today, I pray that we leave in peace and unity with one another, that you take us into this week with you in mind, aware of you, acknowledging you, who you are and what you have in store for us, aware of you in those moments. And Father, build up those spiritual muscles in us as we're engaging you, strengthen us so that we can not only be a help to ourselves, but a help to others because you have made each one of us a minister of reconciliation to bring others out of that slavery into freedom, freedom in you. How wonderful it is. And God, I pray over your people that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you'd make your face to shine upon them. You give them 
peace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.